I'm Mary Byers, and this is Successful Associations Today. My guest is Cynthia Mills, President and CEO of The Leaders Haven, a consultancy serving clients as a business strategist, board consultant, business and executive coach, succession planning, change management guide, leadership development catalyst, speaker, and facilitator for small, privately held, and family-owned businesses, corporations, associations, not-for-profits, NGOs, and faith-based communities. Cynthia was inducted into the Academy of Leaders in 2018, and that's the highest individual honor from ASAE. I am delighted to welcome Cynthia to the program today. We're both kind of surprised that our paths have never crossed before, but this podcast today gives me an opportunity to learn more about her. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you, Mary. I'm so delighted that we're having an opportunity to talk together about things that I know mean a lot to us and that we enjoy being part of in the association community. Well, I'm looking forward to it as well, because when I read the description of what you do and who you do it for, it's obvious that you have a wide range of influence and a wide range of experiences that you are able to harness and then pass on or share or just use in your work each and every day. Tell us about the genesis of the Leaders Haven. And I love the name. It's just sort of a calming, soothing name. The whole idea of having a haven where leaders can go. Tell us about the genesis. Absolutely. Well, you know, I served in the association community um, for over 20 years and um, a couple of those organizations were trade associations. And, you know, one of the things that I found was that along with all of the mission-driven work we were doing for, for the companies, that people began to come to me for counsel, both as leadership development for themselves, as well as for their, their companies and the business development. And, um, and I found that as much as I love association work, I was really enjoying that place where I felt like I was able to help people exceed their expectations. And, and so for me, that started to become a real draw. And I, I wanted to be able to make an impact that um, went beyond sort of one organization at a time and to really be able to stay in that space. And so as I began to even think about the name, one of the things I realized that people were coming to me because they felt like it was a safe space. And so I wanted to, again, be able to, um, to draw people to the opportunity to have that experience, regardless of whether or not we were doing strategy or governance or, or some types of, of leadership development. Um, so that was really exciting for me. And, and, and the decision to do that full time was, was really a personal journey. And I think the reason that I want to share that is because um, I think it helps people um, think about the fact that you can stop and make a decision to, to make a shift. And, and for me, that was driven by things that were happening um, in my family. And I knew that I wanted to make some of those choices, not for moments of grief, but you know, intentionally. And so um, I went on a journey and, and earned coaching certification, started taking on some clients on the side. I taught graduate school. And uh, I was trying to find out what did I like? You know, what did I think I was good at and what did other people think I was good at? And that journey um, is, is what led me to, to really take the leap and, uh, and to go into this work full time. So I've loved it. You mentioned 
people feeling safe with you and being able to talk freely to you. That's something that I find as well, too, especially if you're dealing with the C-suite, because it can be lonely at the top, as they say. And I find and I just deeply appreciate the fact that people trust us enough to be Mm -hmm. honest. And I think honesty is a really important part, not only of our individual journey, but our organizational journeys as well. Um, You know, I'm guessing that clients come to you because they see somebody who is a wayfinder, somebody who is a sense maker, and somebody who has an outside view, outside looking in view. And so you can probably ask questions that other people might not be able to get away with. But I'm curious, how has your coaching work with association changed over the years? And I'm guessing in the pandemic year, it's changed (laughs) as well. Well, you know, I think one of the things that I didn't expect was um, the point at which I had CEOs starting to come to me and saying, will you coach my board chair? You know, will you take on um, beyond sort of the what we would think of as a traditional board orientation or board development? And so I found myself um, really beginning to help organizations. What I would say is continuously design um, strategic conversations. And sometimes that's an individual, you know, but in other times it's certainly groups of people. But, um, you know, there seems to be um, a lack of self-confidence, particularly in these times of tremendous change and transformation to, um, first of all, stop and take the time that it takes to put in that kind of effort to design those conversations and really think about the dynamics and what are you creating. And so, um, so while all of the things that have been in play in, in you know, the consulting and coaching space are there, there is a deeper level of work that be, is being done that is being done at the person level, both individually and groups. And to me, that is a substantive change um, and, and a recognition that it is worth the time to do that work. And time is hard to come by. It is hard to make it, find it, whatever the case may be. But I'm sure you see, like I do, that the multiplication factor. So if you spend 20 minutes focused privately, you're going to get, you know, 10 times the result of that. If you can take a couple of hours privately, you're going to have a multiplier as well, too. I've started taking either a morning or a day quarterly and really sitting with where things are with possibilities. And I am amazed again at the multiplication factor. So even a half morning provides uh, dividends for uh, weeks, if not months to come. But we're kind of loath to set aside the time. We think we're too busy. We don't have it. So how do you convince leaders? To, to invest the time that it takes to do this kind of work? Oh my goodness, Mary, that's such a great question. And I think what you're pointing to is the significant difference between getting caught up in the doing and the being of leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a quote that unfortunately doesn't have an attribution to it that basically says, the higher I rise, you know, the more I become a teacher. And so this idea that if we don't stop the doing and look at what's the impact that we as individuals are having as a leader on other people, you know, what is the opportunity for us to do what you're pointing to, Mary, which is how can I be the multiplier? 
How can I help my team be the multiplier? We can't do that if we're always checking a list. And you know the, the pace that we've all been performing at, particularly through the, the pandemic, um, you know, I am hearing from everybody is unsustainable. So the how do I get people to stop the doing is I start with very small increments and I actually give them an exercise um, that has them go through this three times to get to their core work, which is to have them write down everything that they're doing and either put it in an essential column, an important column, or it's a responsibility. And then I have them make a move looking through two different time lenses so that they finally get down to what's actually essential. That allows them to begin to focus their own work, gain that time you're talking about, but also look at what should they be delegating that would actually be developing their own people as opposed to them continuing to do it. And I think that's something that that should be a practice that we do continuously. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you talk about continuous transformation, and I think that's got to be part of it. That's just not a one and done exercise. And, you know, I think I want to be careful here when we talk about multipliers, I'm not talking about a multiplier to get more done. I'm talking about a multiplier that has you focus on the most important things or a multiplier that increases meaning and relevance so that we're not just busier, but we're busy doing the right things. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) What have been the most valuable skills and traits that you've seen in leaders during the pandemic? You know, I think you've already mentioned one, and that is the ability to set aside time and a willingness to do some introspection and self-evaluation. But what else? And I think um, from a board perspective, um, it really is the ongoing continuing commitment to good governance and not having the pandemic become an excuse to move away from strategic leadership to operational leadership. Um, you know, in in that requires to this willingness to also continue to focus on opportunity. Because if you're staying strategic and focusing on opportunity, it keeps you from becoming paralyzed. And I think that's that has been um, a real key to successful leadership, ma- married to the idea of what do we need to let go of in, in order for us to get to that multiplier um, that you were speaking of. In, in terms of personal leadership, you know, we've certainly heard a lot about resilience and we've heard a lot about empathy and those sorts of things. What, what I think is, is critical about this is that those things that used to be spoken of in air quotes as soft leadership skills have now become really core leadership skills. And if you're not leading from those things first, um, you know, literally we're hearing of, of organizations losing people um, and, and they're walking away from, from the environment. So I think there's um, that behooves us to recognize that whatever version of um, coming back to any kind of bricks and mortar might be, that there also has to be this willingness to recognize that that's going to happen differently um, across people. And lastly, I would say that, um, you know, innovation, but not just innovation in a generic way, but literally shortening um, the, the, from ideation to go and not having it go through as much of the process direction that we may have in the past in order for us to really take advantage of the opportunities that are presenting themselves, which also requires, by the way, a little bit more risk tolerance. (laughs) So you just hit on something uh, that is really, really key for me right now. And that whole, it's the whole idea of innovation and uh, strengthening the muscle. One of the things I'm absolutely dedicated to right now is making sure we don't lose what we learned. 
over the last year, we were innovating on the fly. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have an innovation process before, I'm encouraging leaders to go back and articulate what it is you did out of necessity over the last year. So that can be part and parcel of your culture going forward. And when you can articulate it, it's much easier than to get the board on board, get the support that you need and make that a part of what is going to happen going forward. We have strengthened our innovation muscles, uh, sometimes uh, stressfully, sometimes resentfully, sometimes kicking and screaming, but we don't want to lose what we gained. And so just a little plug here. Uh, we did a research recently on association innovation and the white paper is available at associationinnovation.today. So listeners are welcome to go there. There's also a digital vault featuring some of the interviews I've done with the innovative leaders that, that you and I have been uh, so privileged to work with. So I didn't want to miss an opportunity to share that resource. Uh, we talked about continuously transforming but you're also focused on helping individuals find their true calling. You know, in general, what does this work look like? And I know that is a loaded question, and we probably could talk all day about that. But can you give us just a peek of what it looks like? So uh, I meet so many people, Mary, who um, have got extraordinary skill sets. And, um, and yet at the same time, um, because we're human beings, we gravitate to comfort. And, um, and sometimes we gravitate to the stories other people have written for us, as opposed to the story that, that we would like to live authentically ourselves. And so, you know, the, the issue becomes when we, when we go to comfort, um, you know, that can actually wind up in its worst form to become paralyzing. And so part of what, you know, I work with people um, in doing is actually uncovering what are the things that are impacting their own strategic thinking about the design of their lives. And then if you translate that to boards, same thing, you, you, that's made up of individuals. And so we have to be able to do that deep work of what is showing up in the room that is in fact keeping the board from having the organization live to its true calling. Um, you know, when you think about it, business as usual is, is the thing that keeps us at a place of being unextraordinary. But when we're continuously transforming, you know, that is a, a decision to repeatedly um, design. And, you know, so often, you know, we as people get to a certain place in our, our individual journeys where like, well, we've checked all the boxes, we've gotten all the degrees, we've gotten XYZ titles and, and you know, oh, I, I've, I, we wake up 10 years later and go, how did I get here? Well, that's because we're not making the commitment to continuously design and organizations can do the same thing. So, so that work requires that deeper effort. And, and we're back to the thing you and I were talking about before, which is you've got to be willing to set aside the time and the effort to do this. Um, otherwise, you just keep ticking along. And when things like a pandemic come up and you haven't exercised that innovation muscle that you mentioned, then we find ourselves in that place of uh, an inability to leverage. So really personal growth comes down to being willing to embrace both discomfort and uncertainty. And I don't know a human alive, including myself, who wants to do that uh, be because we're, we're just not wired that way. But the irony is, is that the only way we grow quickly 
and in a meaningful way is through discomfort and uncertainty. So it's almost as if we have to wake up and say, what can I do to scare myself today? Uh, what's the most uncomfortable thing I could do? Uh, where am I uncertain? And I want to walk into that. So, you know, that's, it's such a powerful message, but it's so hard to live. I'm curious about, you know, based on the work that you've done and based on people's willingness to do this, what are some of the more memorable transitions or uh, transformations actually that you've seen? I think one of the ones that um, I love is the is the local organization that decided they wanted to have both an international perspective and an impact. Getting to watch that and to watch the well, why can't we? As opposed to all of the barriers, that is that was just completely invigorating. Um, and then I've also had um, the experience um, in the CEO space of um, one person who. Um, may have earned the title, but wasn't comfortable like seeing themselves that really helping them to occupy that space um, and, and be able to become more than they thought. Flip side, someone who was aspirational to that, who thought that was what they want, prepared for it, peeked behind the veil, veil and then realized, no, that's not actually what I want to do with my life and had the courage to go into the next transformation, regardless of what others would think of. Now, that was also fantastic to get a chance to see. Um, and I think you know, the, other, the other one that, that sticks out to me, too, is um, an organization that was going through um, a transformation, but uh, was honoring someone who had been um, a really important leader in that space, and yet knew that as they selected the next one, was going to need someone very different from that. But they stepped back and realized that in order for them to find that and to have the great partnership, they had to do their own culture work first. Mm. And they did it. That was also very inspiring. It's cool. You're kind of giving me goosebumps here when I hear you talk about those, because for, you know, for every success story, mm -hmm. there are uh, stories that don't turn out as well, or we, we get rolling and we get started. And then frankly, with board turnover, initiatives can stop or we have to kind of take a few steps back to, to keep going forward. Um, and that's both one of the strengths and one of the challenges, frankly, about being in the association space is that, uh, you know, that continuous, <laughs> continuous movement really uh, with the board. Um, you know, as we talked previously before we started this interview, we talked about gifts in, in hard times. And, and when we're in a hard time, it's very hard to see the gift unless we are actively looking for it. Um, you're known as the board whisperer, which I love. And because of that, you have some unique perspectives. And what are some of the potential positives you see for associations, especially coming out of a pandemic? One of the things that I have seen is the is boards really recognizing the extraordinary teams that they have in place who have, in fact, been able to do this crazy on the fly innovation um, over the last year. Now, I will say there's a caution in that, which is I'm also hearing some um, from staffs of wishing there was more appreciation for it. So they're seeing it, but there needs to be the expression you know, of that. Um, another thing that I'm seeing is, is that whereas there might have been opportunity in the future to use resources differently, 
what's happening is that as budgets have changed significantly, and for instance, we'll use travel as an example, like there's a new intentionality around, well, do we need to use those funds for that same level of travel? Or how can we accomplish that differently? Um, also seeing a real um, understanding that um, as, as meetings went virtual, that more people were actually reached. And, and so not that it has to be an or, but in the future, this mix of models being very, very um, important and an opportunity to raise all boats and have more people um, involved. And then I would say, um, lastly, one of the things that um, was starting to develop was the recognition that the talent pool could be accessed globally, um, virtually, and some were stepping into that space. Now with the success of increased productivity that people have experienced, I think we're going to see the talent pool be a much broader um, group of people to tap. And, um, and that's really exciting for both professionals and organizations. I think, too, a, a gift is the sense of urgency. Uh, I, I've heard from many that that doing what they needed to do and they know they've needed to do has gotten even more important uh, mm-hmm. over the last year. And it, it that, that creates a tailwind in some ways, yeah. too. That, that sense of urgency opens new conversations. It creates a new willingness. And, and frankly, a new realization that we can't, you, you referred to business as usual previously, and it's really the reality now is business is unusual. And those associations that embrace that and keep that as a theme and a mantra going forward, I think are, are going to be better positioned uh, than, than those that just want to get back to normal, quite honestly. I, I could talk to you all day, but as we wrap up here, in your role as coach, What advice would you give to listeners as we anticipate recovery from the pandemic and putting this in the rear view mirror, starting to feel like we're closer to the end of this than we were to the beginning? Fingers crossed, that's true. So knowing that, what advice would you share? So if if you're a CEO, I would say that one of the things that um, you can gift to your team is to... um, direct the conversation with the board about what a realistic pace is going forward. That um, we we started running a sprint as pace for a marathon and that's not sustainable. And so we need to retain the talent and we need to retain their innovation. And so the CEO is gonna have a role in redirecting that pace. Um, I think secondly, that um, you know not everyone is going to agree about how um, we return. And so as opposed to coming up with a policy about how that is, is going to go is to lead a conversation about how that goes. And then thirdly, I would say that, you know, the 2020s were already going to be a decade of the um, biggest transformation that we were going to see, certainly in my lifetime. And we had additional variables added to that. And so the bottom line to it is we can either decide that we're going to engage with that and design our destiny and do that in a very bold, creative, and innovative way, or we can decide that we're going to talk about um, all the things that um, are challenging. And I hope that we will all vote to work together um, to find those really creative ways uh, forward and continuously design. I have a note on my computer that says suffering equals pain and resistance. Mm -hmm. And I think you've touched on something important. If we resist what's coming and we are so focused on holding on to the past, we're going to create suffering for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But if we let that resistance go and we lead with curiosity 
and we lead with heart and we lead with a desire to move boldly into the future, our individual experiences are going to be different and our collective experience as, as association teams and even as the association community, uh, I think is gonna be a different experience as well. Cynthia, thank you for being here with me today. It was my delight, Mary. Thank you for the opportunity and for all the work that you do in, in our community. I appreciate that. I'm Mary Byers, and this is Successful Associations Today. 